Okay, thank you. Thank you, thank you. So just again, once a reminder for the ones who weren't here, this is Mission Sunday. All offering and tithes that come in today will go towards our missions. And the three missions that will be represented today, we have um, Donna and I will be doing an update on um, Donna on Open Doors, and I'll do an update on Uganda. And our guest speaker is going to be from Open Arms, Matt, and he's going to be sharing. This is a ministry that uh, Bonnie has been involved with for how many years? Many. And you've been there twice. And so this is a ministry that Bonnie has been involved with. And so uh, we just want to thank the Lord for this opportunity. And, you know, I just would like to say a special prayer right now because um, we had a couple people being prayed in prayer groups. And I just, you know, whenever something good is going to happen, the enemy, you know, he wants to come in and do some disturbance and even with our equipment and so we're going to just say a prayer against, because I, I feel, and I, there's something good that the Lord is releasing because the enemy's been fighting this morning. So, Lord, we thank you for this opportunity. Lord, missions are a very important part of our church, our lives. You tell us, go out. You tell us, you tell us, go. You go and take the good news. You go. And, Lord, I thank you that we have that opportunity. Some of us go. Some of us give. Some of us pray. Lord, we all, are in, we all have our part of missions. So I thank you for this opportunity, Lord, that we can do the Great Commission. This is the Great Commission. And I thank you for this part that we get to play. So we ask a blessing over the offering. We ask to where it goes. And we ask a blessing over this time as uh, our guest speaker, and we come and give updates. So we thank you, Jesus, in your precious, wonderful, glorious name. Amen. Uh, so Donna's going to give us the first update with uh, Open Doors. Thank you. No problem. Uh, <clears throat> So for those of you who don't know, I work with an organization called Open Doors, and their sole mission is to support the persecuted church uh, in uh, upwards of 60 nations across the earth. Um, and a quick update, uh, right now during COVID, things have gotten significantly worse over the last several months for the persecuted across the world and in many, many nations, of course. Um, on top of extreme persecution, the global coronavirus crisis has made it almost impossible for many persecuted believers to even feed their families. Day laborers, laborers have lost their jobs. Food prices have skyrocketed. Many Christians have been cut off from government relief because of their faith. And those at or below the poverty level have nowhere to turn. So, for several months now, Open Doors has been uh, providing food kits and other supplies for believers in these situations. Um, and I got a call just the other night uh, from Open Doors, which I've never had happen before, soliciting for more donations because of the desperate need right now. Um, 
So again, our donations today will all go to missions and we'll send whatever, uh, you know, portion of that goes to Open Doors will go directly to supply these food kits for believers. But I also wanted to, secondly, to remind you that our greatest tool is prayer. And um, Open Doors has provided several ways for you individually to get the needed uh, prayer requests. One of them is a prayer app that you can put on your phone. It's free. Um, I have it on my phone. I love it because I, my phone will ding when there are prayer requests that have come through. Some of them are urgent. So it gives me the opportunity to read through it, pray right then and there, or review them later once I've gone home and it's time. You know, I have more time to dedicate to these. A um, couple ways you can get it. You can, of course, go to the App Store, and you'll find it there. Again, it's free. You can text uh, prayer the word prayer to 32500, and they will send you the app directly. And then you can just quickly download it on your phone. And here is a quick uh, review. You can of click that read app. more to read through the story and understand the specific prayer needs. Pray for the Persecuted is an app by Open Doors USA that allows you to see real time prayer requests from persecuted Christians around the world. You can swipe to see the most up-to-date prayer requests. You can click read more to read through the story and understand the specific prayer needs. Once done, click pray to let persecuted Christians know that they are not alone. You can share these requests on your social media networks via text and via email. In certain cases, you can click submit prayer in the bottom right corner to see other prayers from Christians within the U.S. In other cases, you can watch video from persecuted Christians in the field. Back on the home screen, you can check us out in the top left corner to learn more about Open Doors USA and to find out how you can help persecuted Christians throughout the world. Thank you, and God bless. Okay, thank you very much. Thank you very much. And we always have um, we always have our open doors table back there with prayer guides and bracelets and any way to remind us, uh, just to remind us to keep praying for this ministry. And um, some of you were here with uh, uh, Edward last week. Some of you weren't. And he gave a kind of an update. But... Um, Huh? Oh, you didn't get to see the photo. Okay. So here's, um, you can just go ahead and put those on, Michelle, if you can. Okay. So we have had the privilege of bringing a well to this village. We have done that. This church has brought a well to this village. We have now given water to this village. They don't, the women, when I was there, the women would walk with these big five-gallon buckets, and they'd walk two miles to get their water, women and children, and then they'd walk back to their village. And I got to see that firsthand. And a lot of them are using bicycles now. They'll put the, they'll put the bucket on the bicycle and take it down. But praise God, thank you for your commitment. Thank you for bringing this well to the village. Yes. And so... Um, 
Uh, there's still some stages. I'm not sure if they put the tank up. They're working on the tank up above the storage. Is, that, is there any more pictures, Michelle? Okay, that's fine. That's fine. But And also, I'd like to give a praise report. John is our, he redeems our cans and bottles for this ministry. He has, he has redeemed over $1,000. Yes. By everybody bringing in bottles and cans and him collecting, it's like over $1,000. So praise God. Thank you, John and Maureen. Thank you. And they even keep the change that goes to our rice principal. So all the change they get will go into our rice principal little cans. So it's a, actually doing a couple of ministries. So just thank you. And just, um, we're going we're gonna to take a minute and pray for the Olaras because as you know, they're waiting. And they're waiting until December. But the Lord did give them a house in Toledo. They're in a, like a little studio place, nothing like what they were in. But um, so they're in Toledo right now. And Caitlin is going to get to substitute teach for a couple months. So that's going to help out. She's uh, taken over a, a teacher for a couple months. And so uh, we just want to lift up the Olaras. And we, we, it is such a blessing to have them be our sister church over there. So, Father, we just lift up the Olaras. We thank you for the progress with their home and the water. And we thank you, Lord, that we can be part of a whole village. So thank you for this just privilege, Lord. Thank you for the faithfulness of the brothers and sisters here. And Lord, we just encourage the Olaras, Father, as they wait to go home. We pray that you would just encourage them, especially Edward, Father. He is so ready to go home to the village. So we just really pray for them. So thank you, Jesus. Amen. And like I said earlier, we now have the opportunity of having, hearing about a new mission. And we're going to welcome Matt from Open Arms. Well, thank you very much. No, I've got this. Yeah. Well, actually, I think we're just going to begin by showing you a video that will give you a real good snapshot of what we're trying to do in, in uh, Kenya. So let's start with the video. And uh, is that ready? Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, uh, let's see here. Uh, anyway, it's great to be here, by the way. Uh, good to see. Uh, I don't know where Bonnie went to. Oh, right in the back. Yeah. So Bonnie's been to our village before and she's served with open arms for, uh, I don't know how many years, seven, eight years, seems like. And, um, but it's good to see Bonnie. It's good to see my, my old childhood friend Sue uh, on the worship team. And uh, hadn't, hadn't seen each other in, well, let's just say at least a few years. And, uh, but we went to grade school together. So, um, but, um, but anyway, it's good to be here in Lincoln City and uh, be with you guys. And um, so my wife and I uh, uh, moved to Eldorette, Kenya in 2009 to help start this village that you're going to see a glimpse of in a minute. And in... Uh, um, anyway, so we, uh, when we were, when we first moved there, it was just, uh, 52 acres and uh, about five mud huts. Amen. Well, I'm going to share a little bit with you, uh, this morning from God's word. Um, but I, I do want to encourage you to, 
to certainly to pray for us. We have some prayer cards on an information table outside in the lobby. Uh, there's a giraffe sitting next to it, so you can recognize that. And some information about how you can get involved with what we're doing. We actually, uh, uh, normally, under normal circumstances, we actually send teams over to our village every month now. Uh, of course, in the COVID crisis, that hasn't been happening. And uh, we're hoping and praying that uh, sometime in 2021 that we'll start sending teams to our village again. And just as an added bonus, you might be surprised. Bonnie knows this, but you might be surprised that uh, the weather in Eldoret, Kenya is really surprisingly similar to Lincoln City, Oregon. Uh, the average high, uh, actually we're a little bit warmer, not too much warmer though. The average high temperature in Eldoret is 72 degrees. And uh, so today would be pretty close to an average day in Eldoret, Kenya. We're at 7,000 feet in elevation. Uh, it's very temperate, very moderate. And uh, so if you wanna, wanna come and enjoy the weather in Eldoret, Kenya, uh, come join us on a team in 2021. And, uh, but if you, like I said, if you wanna find out more about us, there's information out in the back. Um, but I wanna talk to you today about, uh, about being, what it means to be a missionary. Uh, and uh, I wanna look at a story from the book of Jonah, who is somebody I call a reluctant missionary. And I kind of connect with Jonah because I, um, I identify with that story because when I started out in ministry as a youth minister, my favorite Christian song was a song lit, written by Scott Wesley Brown called Lord, Please Don't Send Me to Africa. And it was written in the 1970s. You can look it up on YouTube. And, uh, but I'm glad God has a sense of humor. You know, God, God doesn't always send us where we want to go, but he sends us where we need to go. Um, but I also believe that every one of us are missionaries. We all have a missionary calling in our lives. Uh, to me, a missionary is not necessarily someone who, uh, someone who crosses the sea, but someone who sees the cross. And that's what compels us to go and make disciples. And um, so I, I, I want to share a little bit about Jonah today. Uh, I'm going to look at Jonah chapter 3 in a minute, but I, uh, before we get to Jonah chapter 3, the more familiar part about this story is what happens in Jonah chapter 2 and 1 and 2, where Jonah first hears the word of the Lord, tries to run away from God, and what does God do? God sends a great big fish uh, to swallow him up and persuade him that maybe there's a better option here. And um, the interesting thing in that story, I think, is what? What was going on in Jonah's head? Why did he first run away from God? What were some of the excuses he had for, God, I don't want to do this. And so on the next slide, uh, I, I show you some, some of the excuses. And on the next slide, we're going to one by one look at those real, real quickly. Number one in the next slide is, is not, this is an excuse. It's far away. And, you know, Jonah just didn't show up in in Nineveh the next day. He didn't just go to his local rent-a-camel shop and show up in Nineveh right away. It took him probably a couple weeks. Even today, it still requires for you to go to Kenya. You still have to drive to Portland, fly for 24 hours, and, and then stay overnight in Nairobi, and then still take a very long uh, drive, bumpy drive, or a short plane ride to Eldoret, Kenya. It still takes some time uh, and for some people, that is an objection. Um, the next slide 
shows me the number one excuse people have for not, for not doing something that often costs us something. And that's, that's the fact that anything you can do significant for God will probably cost you time and resources. And, um, and if it's something significant, often we initially think, God, I can't do this. I don't have the money. And, and we all, our resources are limited. But God's resources are unlimited. And when you think about any excuse you have for what God might ask you to do, I want you to think about this rooster right here. Okay, This picture was taken 11 years ago, and it, it, it occurred when Cheryl and I first moved to Eldoret. We were invited to speak in a local church, and when I got up to speak, I noticed that, this, uh, uh, that in this room, there was people everywhere, but there were also chickens and sheep and goats, and I didn't understand what was happening until they took up the offering. And that's when I realized, oh, this is the offering. And when I saw the offering plate going around the room, I noticed there was no money in it. There was eggs, vegetables, chickens, sheep, and goats. And this church had no money. But they, but they out of their, their generosity, they gave Cheryl and I this chicken, this rooster. And we brought him back to our village. We had just opened up our first children's home at this time. And, and uh, we, uh, we thought... Uh, what do we do with this rooster? So I gave them to our house parents, kind of expected he, they would eat them for dinner that night. And they said, oh, no, no, we're not going to eat them. They had just built a chicken coop. They had just bought two dozen layer hens. I didn't know this. And they said, well, for now, let's put the rooster in the hen house. We'll figure out something later. Well, through unintended consequences, this rooster wound up becoming the founder of our entire poultry project. And, and a few months later, as things began to multiply, we figured out what was going on and and uh, we started um, a broiler chicken project to, to eat chickens, and things continued to multiply. Uh, as of today, we lay as many as 1,000 eggs a day, harvest as many as 1,000 chickens a month. It inspired all of our sustainability projects uh, so that now uh, nearly half of our general operating budget uh, is paid for through our sustainability projects with the hope of making this village truly self-sustainable and replicating it in other parts of Africa. But you know, the best part about that whole story is it started with one rooster from one church in rural Kenya that literally had no money whatsoever, but they gave what they had, and look what God did with that. So don't tell me you don't have enough money to do what God is asking you to do. If God wants you to do something, he'll find a way. He'll make a way. So think about the rooster. Well, what's, what would be another excuse? Maybe, maybe the, that they won't listen. Uh, this picture was taken two years ago. We took a team from um, Canby Foursquare Church to our village in, uh, in 2018. And, uh, and our pastor in our village suggested, let's, let's reach out to a group of people we've never reached out to before because we always do youth evangelism. He said, let's reach out to our senior citizens and, um, and uh, we said, okay. So we did, a, we did a, a lunch and a prayer service. We expected 100 people to show up and 500 people showed up. And then, uh, and then at the end of the prayer service, um, we thought, well, maybe there might be a few people in this room that might want to become a Christian. You know, but again, these are senior citizens. Most, most of the response we see is from young people. 
But out of those senior citizens, 120 people said, I want to become a Christian. Including three ladies over 100 years old. One was 105. And she had been an animist following her witch doctor all her life. But at 105, she said, I want to become a Christian. And, and also a 74-year-old gentleman named Amos B. Watt, who, uh, who actually won the, he won the gold medal in the steeplechase in 1968 in Mexico City. But, and his wife ran in those Olympics too. But they came to the South Reach and they both found Christ as well. So yeah, there, there might be people that don't want to listen. But there's also a lot of broken, hurting, hungry people in Lincoln City, Oregon that are just waiting for someone to talk to them. Um, what's another excuse? Uh, in the next slide, it's, uh, this is more from the perspective of, of those, uh, of the receiver in the, in the next slide. Uh, it's the idea that people won't listen. And um, maybe we're having a problem with the slides. That's okay. It's a, oh, okay, that's all right. It's a picture of a young man at our village named Joseph. He came to our village at the age of 11, and, um, and he, uh, he lost both of his parents when he was six years old to HIV. Uh, he, uh, there he is. He lived on the streets of Eldoret, Kenya uh, for five years, begging during the day, sleeping in a tree at night because that was the only safe place for him to sleep. And I imagine on a lot of those nights, he probably thought people in Eldoret, Kenya don't care. But you know, Miraculously, he came to our village. He's grown up now. That's, this is him uh, this year. And he, uh, he actually, uh, last year, he graduated from high school. He, he had never gone to school until he was 11 years old. And he quickly caught up. He graduated from high school last year, took the uh, Kenyan secondary exam, which is their equivalent of an SAT exam. He tested in the top 2% of all Kenyans nationwide. He... Um, he got several scholarship offers, accepted an offer to study computer software engineering at the University of Nairobi. And he's gone a long way from sleeping in a tree at night. And he found out there actually are people that care. But there are some people in Lincoln City that think Christians don't care. So I want you to go out and prove them wrong. Okay? So what, what was another excuse Jonah had? Uh, it's the fact that Jonah was different. Jonah was a recognized prophet of Israel according to the book of 2 Kings. He was accustomed to delivering the word of the Lord to Israelites, but these people were different. And when I got off the plane in Eldoret, Kenya, I quickly realized nobody else looked like me. And that's okay. Little kids wanted to come up and pinch me and see if I was for real. Bonnie, that might have happened to you too. I, I don't know. And, and people are curious. And when, and, uh, when I Cheryl and I first moved there, because I used to wrestle in high school, I, some, uh, for some reason, word got around in the community that my name was John Cena, and I was a professional wrestler. I, I don't know what, how that rumor started. Well, as I've gotten older and my belly's gotten a little bigger, uh, actually, and I grew this, well, underneath here, there is a beard. Um, when I grew that... Um, some people in the community started saying my name was Kenny Rogers. And, and actually, um, actually, I, it's true. Most, most Kenyans are actually big country Western fans, uh, which is surprising, but true. And, uh, but 
but anyway, it, it sometimes it's a little unsettling when you, you go cross-culturally into a different culture. The, the, the bigger uh, fear that more people have is the fact that Nineveh was different, and that's in the next slide. It, you know, the fact uh, that Jonah was going from, from comfortable Israel, where everybody spoke his own language, to Nineveh, where everything else was different. And, uh, in the, and you'll see it in a minute, but there is a, um, um, in downtown, well, I should say this first, when Cheryl and I lived in Eldoret in 2009, we, we went there, uh, we started getting homesick at Christmas time, started missing our family because nobody was putting up Christmas lights or Christmas trees. And we, uh, we did find out, and we did find out most Kenyans do celebrate Christmas, but they, they celebrate it in a very simple way. They'll have a meal together. They'll give their children new gifts of clothing, and they'll go to church, and that's it. No other traditions, uh, just very simple, uh, but they do celebrate Christmas. But we did find out one tradition that occurs every year in downtown Eldoret, is the downtown Nakumat grocery store, which is their version of a Walmart or a Fred Meyer. They will put up a six-foot-tall robotic Santa Claus, and it has a motion sensor on it, so that when you walk into the store, he begins to jiggle and shake, and he sings the Yellow Rose of Texas. Now think about that for a minute, because I, you know, I do have Kenyan friends that probably think that's a Christmas carol. I have other Kenyan friends that are a bit more savvy, and they just smile, and they say, Karibu, Kenya, welcome to Kenya. Because anywhere you go in the world, you're going to find out there are things that don't make sense. I, as a matter of fact, I've had a few of my Kenyan friends that have come to visit me in Portland. And after spending a few days with me wandering around Portland, they, they say, you know, there are things about Portland that just don't make sense. That's true if you're from Lincoln City, probably, as well. But, you know, the thing is, anywhere you go in the world, you're going to find things that don't make sense. And, and that's unsettling. And sometimes it's an excuse we have for trying to run away from what God wants us to do. Well... Here's, where, here's the meat of the story. Um, in uh, Jonah chapter 3, beginning with verse 3, I'm going to read from there. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming 40 more days, and Nineveh will be overthrown. The Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed. And all of them, from the greatest <clears throat> to the least, put on sackcloth. Amazing story of what God did. It's one of the greatest revivals recorded in Scripture. An entire community coming to know God, repenting of their sin, fasting, praying to God. Well, two things I want to say about this. First of all, in the next slide, I, I'm, I, I'm trying to make a very uh, a comparison here between Eldoret and Nineveh, and it's not necessarily a very fair comparison. Um, you know, El, uh, Nineveh, what, geographically speaking, was probably the largest city in the world at that time in history. A very, very significant 
city. Uh, and uh, now Eldoret is, it, it's a fast growing city. Uh, in fact, it's been probably the fastest growing city in East Africa or among the fastest in East Africa for the last 15 years. It grew from a, from a community of 50,000 people to, uh, um, to a, a city of about 1.5 million people in a span of 20 years. And uh, 11 years ago, when Cheryl and I first moved there, they were trying to install their first signal lights. And uh, apparently, not enough people got the memo. Green light, red light, what does that mean? They had 45 accidents in 30 minutes, went back, disengaged the signal lights, and went back to what I call old school pandemonium. Cheryl's never gotten the courage to drive in Kenya. I consider it an adrenaline rush. In fact, for me, the biggest cultural adjustment coming back to Oregon was driving down I-5 and thinking, this is so boring. Everybody is following each other like lemmings. I, I, I need to pull over and get a cup of coffee because I can't stay awake. But in, in Kenya, I never have that problem. Every second, there's always something unexpected that happens. But think about this. Think about what, well, um, what would happen if, if, uh, if, let's see if we can skip over two slides. But what, go to the next one. There you go. What would happen if everyone in Lincoln City turned their hearts to God? If you went down downtown on Highway 101 and everybody started repenting of their sin, that would be significant, especially right now at the, at the middle of, of summertime. That would be very significant. It would change this whole region, wouldn't it? Well, that's not even close to what happened in Nineveh. The, the fairest comparison today would be imagine instead if you went to Washington, D.C., and every single person, man, woman, and child, repented of their sin, turned to God. That's what happened in Nineveh. It changed the world at that time, really. Well, you know, the thing is today, it's hard for us to picture what that would look like. And this is a picture I want that might give you a glimpse at least. You can't see it, maybe you can't see it very well. It's actually the largest gathering of Christians in human history up to this point in time. It occurred, well, we lost it. Um, it occurred in Lagos, Nigeria, just, uh, I think, um, 20 years ago. Uh, 20 million people gathering in one place at one time to worship Jesus. And in one night, over 1 million people accepted Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Things like that are happening all over Africa it's been the fastest growing continent in the world for Christianity over the last 50 years. Uh, but it wasn't always that way. Uh, 80, 85 years ago, uh, probably only 1% of Kenya, 1% of East Africa was Christian at that time. And something occurred in the span of about eight months called the Great East African Revival, in which 70%, over two-thirds of the population became Christian always kind of intrigued me how it all began and it wasn't until about um, 12 years ago we were 12 or 13 years ago we were doing a training conference for pastors in East Africa there were a thousand pastors in this community on the border of Tanzania and Rwanda and uh, and I asked them because I had read how it started somewhere in East Africa in the, that region and they 
I asked how did it start, and they all smiled because all of their grandparents got saved in this revival. They said, well, it started on a hill right above this conference center we were meeting in. They said it started in an orphanage with 25 children that started a prayer meeting. And in that prayer meeting, they prayed, Lord, change me and help me to change the world. That was their prayer. And quickly, within a span of a few days, the entire community joined in this prayer meeting. Well, then other prayer meetings just like that one started all over East Africa. 5,000 prayer meetings just like that started in the next three to four months. And six to eight months later, they estimate that 50 million people came to know Jesus in a span like that. That's what happened in East Africa. It happened 85 years ago there. It could still happen here. I pray by God's mercy and grace that it could happen here again. Well, the question is, here is the response. If we go to the next slide, here is the response of Jonah in chapter 4. Um, when God saw what they did and how they turned from the evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. And beginning in chapter 4, verse 1, but to Jonah... This seemed very wrong, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, and abounding in love. Jonah was a prophet of Israel. He knew the character of God. He knew who God was. The interesting thing here is, what was the heart of Jonah's complaint? Yeah, I'm sure he had other excuses going through his mind, the fear and uncertainty of going to a cross-cultural community, the cost involved. But to be fair to Jonah and his context, you have to also understand, at least humanly speaking, you might, it might be helpful to understand the fact that all of Jonah's prophetic peers had begun to warn Israel that God was bringing judgment on Israel. And the arm of God's judgment in this scenario was going to be the Assyrian Empire. And Nineveh was its capital city. So Jonah's complaint to God here really was, God, this doesn't seem fair. It doesn't seem right. These people don't deserve your grace. Actually, none of us do. Grace, by its very definition, is undeserved and yet freely given a great price. And so, my question for all of us is, who, who are the Ninevites in our lives? Who are the people that we are unwilling to afraid to or unwilling to go to. We understand maybe a little bit better the heart of Jonah's complaint, but who are the Ninevites in our lives? And I, um, I experienced this a few years ago when, uh, if we jump over two slides, a few years ago we did a medical camp in, uh, in our region. We do a couple of them every year, and we always choose the poorest areas of our region that often have a high percentage of 
refugees and immigrants and, and this community, we, we always set up a medical tent, a pharmacy tent, and a prayer tent. And I'm, I'm usually often in the prayer tent, and I was in there with two Kenyan pastors, and I, and I, uh, I noticed that uh, there were a lot of Muslims in this neighborhood. I said, why is that? And they said, well, this is where all of the Somali refugees in our region of Kenya live. I said, how many? They said, well, we think there's 40,000 of them. I said, oh, that's a lot of people. And, um, and then I, I noticed that, uh, that there started to come a few Somali families into the prayer tent. And when they came in, the two Kenyan pastors would just usher them on through without even offering to pray with them. And I said, why? Why aren't you praying with them? They said, well, they're Muslim. They wouldn't be interested. And I thought, oh, I think these are the Ninevites. I said, uh, so I asked them, I said, you know, I challenged them. I said, I, I, don't think, I don't think that really matters. I think everyone deserves the opportunity and the same respect um, to be prayed for. So why don't you invite all of them to pray with you? And they were probably initially thinking, oh, here's this crazy Mzungu. That's what they call those of us outsiders. And uh, he doesn't know what he's talking about. Of course, the next person that came was an elder in the Somali community. I found out later he was an elder. He came up to me and I said, sir, would you like to pray with me? And he says, no, I cannot pray with you. I'm Muslim. And he turns around and he starts walking away. I said, where are you going? He says, I'm going home. And I think he expected that we would turn him away if he refused to pray with me. So I said, well, wait a minute. Didn't you come here to see the doctor? And he looked at me kind of curious, so I smiled, pointed at the medical tent. I said, you know, if you really want to go see the doctor, he's right over there. And at that point, his whole countenance changed. He grabbed my hand, he started kissing my hand and weeping, and over and over again saying thank you. Because for him, this was a big deal, that, he, he, um, that we were willing to accept him unconditionally. And, uh, well, in reality, that's what God with, did with each one of us. Romans 5.8 says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Well, this, this uh, Somali elder, <laughs> he went and saw the doctor. He got examined, got treated, got some medicine, went back home. And that's a beautiful story in itself, but it doesn't end there. Because, um, well, he started telling all of his friends. He had a lot of influence. And I noticed, I noticed about an hour and a half later, I couldn't see the end of the line, found out by the end of the day, over 5,000 people had been registered for our medical camp. And based on their last names, we had determined that over half were from the Somali community. But before the day was done, this God did something. This lady wandered into the prayer tent, assisted by someone else from the community. And when I saw her, I, I saw something I've seen probably two dozen times in our medical camps. I couldn't see the pupils in her eyes. And I recognized right away she had cataracts in her eyes so thick she was probably completely blind. We don't have an eye surgery clinic anywhere in our region of Kenya. And I knew our medical camp couldn't help her either. So I just asked her, can I pray with you? She nodded her head. We prayed. When we got done, she opened her eyes, and her eyes were perfectly clear. And, yeah, well, she began to weep. I began to hyperventilate. Because it didn't quite register in my mind yet that God had just done a, a supernatural miracle. And then when it finally did, I thought, you know, God, maybe next time give me a heads up. I don't know. But, but the point was, at that point, it didn't matter anymore. 
everyone in the community wanted prayer. Everyone. And there were some other significant miracles right out of the book of Acts that occurred that day, but the greatest miracle that had occurred, because it had never, ever happened in this region ever before, the very first Somali families in that region said, I want to become Christian. And these two Kenyan pastors who had never even thought about reaching out to their Somali neighbors because these were their Ninevites got introduced to these Somali families and started incorporating and discipling them into their church family. So who are the Ninevites in our lives? Can we bow our heads in prayer? While we do I think about Jonah chapter 3, verse 1. God delivered his word a second time. That's what it says. Before God ever extended his grace to the Ninevites, he extended his grace to Jonah and said, I'm going to deliver the word of the Lord to you a second time because I'm not through with you yet. God's not through with any one of us. Some of us might feel like Jonah. Some of us might think, well, I'm, I'm not good enough. I don't have enough giftings. I don't have, a, have enough capability, experience, whatever your excuse might be. God wants to use you. Lord, I pray, in spite of all the fears we have, in spite of all the excuses we have, in spite of all the apprehension, the fear that we have. You have called us to reach out to our neighbors, our friends, our family, our co-workers, our community, our region, and this world. God, help each one of us discern what it is you're asking us to do today how it is you're asking us to help those around us today. Help us set aside our fears. Help us to set aside our apprehension and serve you today. God, thank you for the presence and the anointing of your Holy Spirit. Let your Holy Spirit fall upon us today and give us a fresh anointing, a fresh boldness, and a fresh courage to reach those around us through our words and our actions, Lord. We praise you in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Well, mungu wabariki. God bless all of you. Amen. 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 Um, I've supported this organization for as long as I can remember. When I first went over there, we had, I think, seven or eight houses. We would build a house, and we would find a Kenyan mom and dad who were willing to be house parents, and that house would be filled with 10 to 12 orphans. And we got a lot of our orphans from the government. They would just 
scoop these kids off the streets who are, we found one three-year and five-year-old boys that in order to survive, dug a hole in the ground and that's where they would sleep at night, in the hole. And we got those kids from the government. Well, now how many houses do we have? Ten. Ten. We have ten houses. Since I've been there, this is an amazing organization that truly knows how to uh, use the resources that we get. The main um, goal is to become completely self-sufficient. And I wished Edward had been here because I'd love to take him over there and show him this. But since I've been there, we've added a granary where we can gr uh, grind our own grain and make it, not just for us, but for the community. We've created a bakery that um, they can go out and sell the baked goods. Um, our chickens, of course, was the major thing, but we have cows and sheep and, of course, gardens where all the kids are, um, have, are, have jobs. They all, even from little, little ones, they know how to scrub the floors on their porches and they wash their, we had now have a laundromat there, but we didn't when I was there, but they would have tubs where they would wash their clothes. Everybody had a job. And we now have added a tilapia farm. And we built this, what, three-story facility that is um, partially a medical clinic. And I can't tell you, if you could be there when they have one of their medical things, um, people come, they walk there for miles and miles and miles to get treated, and they're dressed to the nines. I mean, it's amazing. And they come into the prayer tent, and uh, <laughs> the miracles. You know, we are so clouded in this in this environment in the United States, we expect so much more. And when you have such a simple society where people just believe and, and kids, my favorite thing is to watch the kids worship there. And maybe one of these mission Sundays, I can bring some of my photos uh, when I was over there, and the looks in, I have pictures of children worshiping that'll bring you to tears. And, but miracles happen all the time because they're not clouded by, by uh, Western society, Western civilization. And it's, it's so beautiful to be over there and to see God working through humanity in such a simple way, it just, it changes you. It changes your life when you go over and see this. And um, anyway, I just, this organization has in less than 15 years 
become self-sustaining example of what can be done. And even to the point where soccer is a big deal over there. And we just had bare ground. So a group of businessmen raised money here in America and built a soccer field for the kids. And um, we have one of the best soccer teams in the whole country. So, I mean, it's an amazing to see that from just bare ground, what this organization has built. Um, we're, we're connected to a river, so we get all of our water from the river. Just the engineering of all the things, and it's all people from America coming together. And, and because we're now self-sustaining, the money that still comes in can go to medical supplies and to go out. And we go out. We have a slum that we support. And we feed over 500 kids a day there. And we have a school there. And one of my favorite programs is that we teach women how to become entrepreneurs. And there's a whole program that involves that. And you may think, oh, an entrepreneur. I own a frame shop. They have, in this slum, a little table, and on that table are beans, a head of cabbage, three tomatoes, an onion, and that's their business. But we teach them how to sell that, make a profit, what they do with the profit. One lady decided she was going to, and we will not only let them go through this training program, but then we give them the money to start up their program or their business. And she decided she was going to do pop. Pop's a big thing over there. So she bought $100 worth of pop, and we taught her how to sell it, how to use some of the money to live on, and how to reinvest it so she would never, and that's a big deal to them. And it's all under, you know, the uh, guise of women that come to our slum to learn, go through this program, and then we help to get them started. It's, it's an amazing organization. I can't even explain to you how wonderful it is to see, you know, this. And it's all with coming to the Lord, and it's, it's always on the, the background, always, you know, teaching them to love the Lord, and um, anyway, I would love to lead a, vill uh, a group of people over there to see what they've done, and I definitely want to take Edward over there, because this is exactly what he wants to do in Uganda. And, pardon? Yes, we could. We could go to both places. Yeah. So, anyway, thank you for listening. I, I am just so excited about our organization. <laughs>
Well, it's always, it's always wonderful to hear from people who've been there firsthand. So, <laughs> yes. So thank you for sharing. Um, just I want to tell you the offering boxes back there. Put your offering in. Any loose change, the rice principal cans are back there. Put any loose change. And then we'll count that and give that to rice principal. Um, I just wanted to say a couple of things about off of your, it reminded me of some of my trips. Um, in 2002, I went to uh, Russia to orphanages to take supplies and to also hospitals. And then when I left, my brother, my brother said to me, some of you have heard this story. He said, Debbie, wouldn't it be better for all you guys to collect the $3,000 from all the different people going and just send the money? And so I thought about that. This was like my second or third missionary trip. So I asked the people that we went and we uh, partnered up. You always partner. Most of the time, it's better to partner up with the church that's already there and established or an orphanage. And so I started asking the different people. And I just remember this one translator. She looked at me, and she says, please don't stop coming. Please do not stop coming because it tells us that you care. We're not forgotten. She says, when you come, it tells us we are not forgotten. And, and, I just, and that just stuck in my head, you know, versus just sending, I mean, it's good to send the money, but the importance of us still going. And then when I was in Uganda getting ready to leave, because I went at Christmas, around before Christmas time, a big Santa Claus. <laughs> he wasn't singing the yellow star of Texas, though. I just thought, here I am in Uganda, Africa, with this big eight-foot Santa Claus, you know, with his lotion. I took a picture of that and kept it in my book, because it's like, I don't know, just Santa Claus in Uganda, you know, Africa. So, Lord, we thank you for this time. It's been a privilege. It's been an honor to listen to how you're working in different parts of the world. May you keep this afresh and a fire in our hearts, Lord. May we not just hear it today, but may it stay afresh. Lord, we have opportunities with open arms, open doors, Uganda. Lord, we know we can't reach all, but whatever you put on our hearts, Lord, let us be committed to that. And, Lord, we do, as Matt said, we do have a mission field here in Lincoln City. And we will not forget that because we're all, if we're a believer in Jesus Christ, we are missionaries. <laughs> because you gave the great commission in Matthew to all of us, not one of us. You said, here's the great commission. Once you know me, take it out to the world. And that begins in our own hometown. So, Lord, we thank you for the today. We give you all glory, honor, and praise. And we love you, Jesus. And we just and we want to serve you with all our hearts, Lord. So thank you for every opportunity you give us. Home, in the grocery store, in the car, in Uganda, in Kenya, everywhere, Lord, we thank you. In Jesus' precious, wonderful, glorious name, amen. And I just had a thought. If there's anybody who needs prayer, Dan and Christy will be over here. I don't know. I just have a feeling that maybe people want prayer. And then Don and I can be over here. And we haven't done this for a while. But if anybody wants to stay and have prayer, just come on up. And in other words, you're dismissed. Go in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ.